Hello and welcome to Film Club. My name is Megan Anderson and I'm joined by Isabel and George and our special guest Hannah. <laughs> Hannah joining us through the interwebs from Los Angeles, California. Today we'll, we will be discussing the 2005 Michael Haneke thriller drama Hidden. So Hidden, like the premise of Hidden is that the peace of a Parisian family is shattered when they find a series of surveillance tapes containing recordings of the exterior of their home on their front porch. And yeah, that's basically just, yeah, a bit of a context, but yeah. <laughs> great, great to have you on the podcast, Hannah. A uh, long time listener. Oh, <laughs> so happy yeah, to be it's, here. Been, it's been really nice reconnecting with you over about the podcast. Um, so we knew each other back in Melbourne where we were both MIF volunteers. Yeah. I actually remember, um, I think I was volunteering and I think it was a divine, I don't know if you remember this, it was a podcast, uh, not a podcast, a documentary <laughs> about, yes, yes, divine about divine and yes. the, um, the sound like stuffed up. Do you remember this? <laughs> and, like I had yes. to like go in front of the whole crowd at MIF and be like, sorry everyone, the sound does not work. <laughs> That's all folks. And it was like, like kind of embarrassing. And I, I, I don't remember you having to do that, but I definitely remember because I think when we met as volunteers, we didn't like exchange info, but then we bumped into each other again at that screening. Yeah. And so I definitely remember I was sitting up the back and I remember you like tapping me on the shoulder and being like, hi, it's me. Remember, like we met and then we exchanged like info. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm so glad we bumped into each other again. Um, yeah. But and that divine documentary that was a good one i saw so many good films at as a i, I can't remember if i was there as maybe i can't remember the context of which i was watching the divine doc it's so hard because i can't remember all the films i have i only remember myth at greater union and it's hard to remember i know <laughs> yeah because i remember like the divine docker was at greater union it was sad that mm -hmm. that closed down it's not the same without it really, but also like that Greater Union is like the cinema of my childhood as well. I've seen so many films there and just being in the CBD without it, it's like, what, where yeah. do I go? Wow, I wow, remember I another that. really funny myth memory is that I got me and my housemate myth tickets at the time, but we got the day mixed up. So we ended up sitting on it on Pacific Rim at the Greater <laughs> Union instead of some like, fancy European doco ticket that I had bought. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and we just got wasted and watched Pacific Rim Job. It was fun. <laughs> Actually sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Megan, did you ever do any myth volunteering or, or George? Did you ever? Well, well, just for all our uh, international listeners, MIF is the uh, Melbourne International Film Festival. And it's kind of like a big event every winter in Melbourne. All the people of Melbourne come out of their hovels and go and see some films. Uh, both, yeah, Megzi and I volunteered. Uh, like any experiences, Megs? Any stories? 
Yeah, I loved volunteering. I saw so many films both times. Like we lived in Fitzroy North one year while it was on, while we volunteered. And it was just so awesome to be living so close to the city. We saw so many. But um, I don't know. I remember seeing I remember seeing Call Me By Your Name at the comedy theater. And oh, nice. that was one of its premiere screenings. And the director, Luca, <laughs> Luca was there. And that was oh, like actually nice. very emotional and special because mm, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you know, standing ovation. And he was there, the director. Oh. So that was really cool. That was like a memorable myth moment. Sad that one slipped through the cracks. <laughs> <laughs> What a pity. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any funny myth memories, George? Or beautiful myth memories? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just just bad ones? No, I don't have any bad myth memories. I just don't don't think I had anything that was like stood out as being particularly... I mean, when you volunteer, you do get to know the real cinema addicts. Like people would come Mm -hmm. in for the first session and just sit in that cinema all day. Mm. and um yeah so that was interesting MBS. yeah MBS. I've yeah. always wanted to do myth where I have enough money where I can like take a month off yeah, yeah. just like live in the cinemas that was that would be my dream <laughs> that's pretty much Zane you remember Zane just yeah. like a cinema cinephile I was thinking well I think often actually that I think he just wants to turn into a piece of film and being a projector like I think he wants to enter the projector and turn into film (laughs) wow that's amazing I I kind of like that level of obsession scares me but I I I'm probably getting there I'm actually about to buy a VHS player again and get like a TV and so I can because I had so many VHS tapes I know I remember you having a great collection and I yeah. I miss them. Like to me, I thought I was sitting on like a great fortune that I could like retire on. I'm like, I'm gonna sell these VHS tapes one day. They're gonna be worth so much money. And no, I do not see them ever becoming. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't know though. I sold my whole DVD collection for eighty dollars. Nice. Ching ching. <laughs> <laughs> a really it's like actually I was I always had better book collection I think I have a weird taste in VHS tapes Mm. um but no I want to collect again I miss it yeah I want to ask you Hannah um like before you moved to LA and before you were working in the film industry there like what were your like preconceptions and are they like completely different Oh, of Los Angeles. Okay, so I have a, I don't, I don't think I had as rough of a time because my mum grew up here, and I still have, and I, oh, I, I still have family who lives here. I have an aunt. Um, actually, I have two aunts. One actually in Los Angeles. One maybe about an hour away. So I, there was no like, oh no, like what's gonna happen if I don't get a job? Like kind of feeling because I, I really before I left, I was like, oh. I'll give it six months, give anything six months, right? And we'll see how we feel. Um, I remember my mom saying to me, like, Hannah, like, you like, you're a curious person. Like, you guys, you like to go walk around and go for walks and see what's about. And she's like, you can't do that in LA. And I remember just rolling my eyes and just being like, oh my God, like, typical mom thing to say. And then I got here and I was like, 
<sighs> yeah, you can't. It's just, it's too dangerous. It really is. Like, in the sense of, like, uh, I mean, there's gun crime. There's, there's, there's so much worse crime here. And not to say that you're guaranteed to meet it any particular place where you go but if you're not aware of where you're going you will turn the corner and walk into a scary situation and you won't realize and so there's a um downtown los angeles looks very similar to melbourne cbd um and a very high homeless rate um but then also there's an area called skid row which i literally didn't realize was the area where the term like comes from and it's even on the map called skid row and people disappear there like all the time and skid row is like a kind of it looks on the map to be no more than like a four or five block radius um but it's kind of a place where like if you have like maybe like mental health issues like you might accidentally end up in that area and really unless your family is like really looking for you like you just won't get found and so I've definitely had like a lot of paranoia and and it's really sad like and but also like the what you see like on uh just around you of like the desperate situations that people are in it's like nothing I've ever seen before and it's very depressing and you like leave the house in the morning to go to work and you think you're going the quickest route but the quickest route involves walking under part of the freeway and you can't walk under the freeway and you find out the hard way (laughs) because you see something that's like awful or like you know someone tries to grab you or something like that like there's just sketchy people around so then it's like okay I've just found out never walk under a freeway (laughs) got it Um, and then then all of a sudden like your commute is like half an hour longer and you're like oh this is why people drive got it and I was just so determined that I was going to do things my way and it's kind of been like oh like okay like living in a cheap room is is good like economically but you do have to live by yourself for peace of mind um and so like I I live in a studio now and it's like the money I spend on it is so worth it because I'm like I live in a nice rent control building in a nice area Mm. don't have to worry about who I'm living with if they're weirdos or turn out to be like because people move here to make it big there's a lot of desperation and sadness and people do things out of desperation and you just you can never see it coming and I've definitely met a few times like that (laughs) which I realized sounds pretty cryptic but there's just the type like um like I'm trying to think of like you've seen films like Taxi Driver and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. only in America like only in America could a character like that be created and it's it's definitely a type of person Mm -hmm. you meet in LA too for sure so Sorry, but what are the perks about living in LA then? <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, I've definitely, oh man, like there's no easy way to say this. When I lived in Melbourne, I was creatively stifled mm. to the point of like a pretty deep depression. Yeah. And I feel absolutely so much more inspired. I've mm. ridden the most I have in a really long time. I, oh, I can great. see like, creatively like a light at the end of the tunnel I'm really just like oh like here's my goals and now I know that at least something I do is gonna can and might happen and why not and actually like that feeling of positivity is like so new that it's like it's like something I haven't really experienced before I think I when I lived in Melbourne I really narrowed Mm. my creativity and was kind of just like oh like there's only all you can do is this so try to fit you know uh, was it square peg into a 
a round hole or like something like that like it just wasn't working um and here I'm like oh that's right I always love movies and I always wanted to write movies why the fuck was I trying to review gigs like what the fuck like why did I care about any of that and like you know nothing against the Melbourne live music scene I like I miss like all my friends and whatnot of course um and I have you know respect for people to do that but I was like oh my god was I really trying to write like a long-form article about like a topical thing in the news like it's not that's not what I can do so um that's true yeah I do feel like especially when it comes to film like Australia has a stagnation I think and it's nice to hear that I guess I feel like there's a lot of negativity around filmmaking in Australia and because there's just not that much content being created so it is like you do feel like your ideas and what is possible becomes like more narrow narrower and narrower whereas tonight mm -hmm. in LA obviously there's so much content being created mm -hmm. it's like that that positivity is making you like it's rubbing off on you and making you feel quite creative so that's awesome to hear oh yeah because people love when you have creative ideas and love that you want to do something with them people really yeah. champion creative people here like and I'm speaking like specifically of Los Angeles Mm -hmm. um like because everyone's excited they want to be a part of what you're creating like um ev everyone that even everyone at my work I know has a creative thing that they're working on outside of work hours everyone's like me I don't have to hide myself and pretend I don't have other agendas than you know the office job or something like that mm -hmm. and um there's a lot of really passionate cinephiles there's so many great cinematechs and screenings to go to and stuff like that and I'm definitely someone I get FOMO for like a movie screening so like um mm -hmm. prior to lockdown I was gosh I was spending so much money a month but I didn't even notice because I at least was going to like three or four screenings a week I'm pretty sure That's and then awesome. and and stuff like that and yeah. then yeah it's it's great that it sounds like there's a real like supportive environment whereas I feel in Melbourne or in Australia there's a lot of competitiveness and I think because there's not that many opportunities people like hold tight on any little opportunities that there are but it sounds like in LA it's more fluid and positive and yeah. To that point that I I think when I lived in Australia I'm trying to remember if I even was aware of the steps one could take to become a filmmaker or yeah. to be, or to write a screenplay it literally <laughs> I would occasionally uh, you know attempt to write like a short film or a pilot idea but I honestly like without this like feeling of like oh yeah because it's gonna get made or like yeah like I'm mm -hmm. gonna give it I can give it to a producer I can do this or something like that I can get in touch with whoever I need to it was always kind of like oh why am I doing this again like I um, yeah. what, like like for who and like it's funny because I actually just finished writing a pilot that I would love to be made in Melbourne um but and I'm but at the same time like because there, there's so much there's so many stories in Australia and so it's really sad that people yeah. don't get excited about telling them as much as they could and I think there's a lot of creative people in Melbourne who could work in something like the entertainment industry and they're very talented and there's so many different things to do um but people just don't realize because the jobs aren't there yeah there's yeah it's definitely so true there's not a lack of talent it's just something about the infrastructure it's just it's not really an industry I guess so there's yeah. not really enough going on to really create that buzz and that positivity and that fluidity 
um mm. you should do like a create like a faux melbourne in la like do like a sketch and like hire american actors to put on australian accents that'd be so funny <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's actually there's a lot of Australians over here who work in the industry it's mm. like a cliche like everyone mm. hears your accent they're like yeah of course you live yeah. here yeah 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 so, but um it's I was remember like I will occasionally like look up producers and post coordinators and stuff on like IMDB and always like and then we'll see in their profile that like they're from Australia and I'm like yes if we ever meet we have something to talk about so yeah <laughs> Yeah. even um there was a girl who I was looking at because I think she worked on the last Tarantino film and she's like me like she um grew she was born here but then grew up in Australia I think that's really common too like yeah. Nicole Kidman and stuff oh yeah 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 cool all right hidden <laughs> so you you um, chose this film Hannah Hannah um, Key's hidden well quick connection back to myth so Myth is the reason why I got on to Haneke. Oh, actually, uh, which pronunciation of Haneke are we going with? Because I I was just watching an interview with him and it's like Haneke. And I was like, I don't think oh, that's yeah. how you say it. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe I've been the, Haneke the for gross, so long. The grossly like Anglo Haneke. <laughs> or we can go like the sophisticated Euro Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Okay, I'm going to try Hanukkah, but if I accidentally slip and say Hanukkah, don't make fun of me. <laughs> um, so uh, all the way back in 2008, and this is before I volunteered at MIF, I remember I was looking at the MIF um, like program and I just saw like the little picture with the caption about um, funny games and I just saw Michael Pitt's face because it was the remake that... Um, Hanukkah had made um and so I was like Michael Pitt is in this I love him whatever this is about yeah cool I'm down and I remember <laughs> texting my friend and I was like oh this movie looks really good let's go see it it's like these two guys break into these this family's house and play pranks on them <laughs> <laughs> and sounds so, harmless funny game yeah right and so I remember it was the uh, the screening was at the Capitol Theatre, which is a beautiful cinema, and it was packed, so it was so much fun. And I didn't realise until that moment how, what a kind of, like, newbie I was to really, like, mm. um, like first of all, like, just dark films in general. Like, I'd seen scary films, I'd seen violent films, but nothing quite like this. And just the whole time, me and my friend were, like, clutching each other and then we were so blown away by what we had seen that I, I just I'll never forget us like holding each other, walking up Swanson Street after to go like eat and just like talk about the movie. And I have never had such a reaction like that to a film. And so mm. I, the following like year, I actually went to the UK to do like a, a, so I could do as part of my arts degree, an actual like screenwriting class. And I was just nonstop watching movies. And so I watched a bunch of uh, Hanukkah films like, um after that which like I still consider myself a bit of a baby when it comes to like on-screen violence but for some reason I'm cool with his films like I in fact if anything I'm like love it like he always <laughs> gets me um and I think it must have been around that time that I actually saw Hidden and I didn't re-watch it until actually just this morning yeah, um same which was uh which was so that I'm I'm in my early 30s now, so I must have been only 22 when I saw it the first time. 
Um, and I think I still was kind of in this mindset of like, I've never seen a filmmaker quite like this. Like he's so skilled at what he's doing. And now I've seen many, many good films like since then. And so rewatching it, I was kind of like, oh, it's not as kind of mind boggling to me now. If anything, it just seems so just normal, but that's kind of like his style too. But I think maybe the world's gotten a bit more fucked up <laughs> since I saw it. Mm. So <laughs> nothing can phase me now. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of like this film's also like a kind of almost a pre, pre-internet or pre-social yeah. media film. Yeah. There's like yeah. obviously colonialism and um, kind of talks of privilege are very much in the forefront of the conversation. But mm-hmm. I think like... So we're very used to those topics and those themes, mm-hmm. but I think probably when, so it doesn't seem as like pushing the envelope as much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think maybe probably when it came out, it would have been like thought provoking and. Oh yeah, like yeah. 2005, I graduated high school in 2005. Yeah. I would not, I would, my my mind would have melted if I saw it when it came mm-hmm. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I saw it in high school and I remember I still like it, the drawings and spoiler the scene where he slits his own throat and the yeah. dream sequences are very iconic, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't often call Hanke's films iconic, but that really mm-hmm. stuck in my mind. Mm. Um, but I didn't remember much else from the film. Like I watched it when I was in high school. Um mm. Yeah. Yes. I just what I mainly remember is the infamous infamous throat throat slitting scene is mm. not being able to predict that it was going to happen. And I'm mm. again like such a baby and I can tell when something's going to happen and I turn my head away, but mm-hmm. he like he was so it was so quick that I saw it and was just like <gasps> like cuz I kind of was like I had seen funny games and I think Benny's video and stuff. So I knew that something might something like that might happen but I still didn't see it coming but I remember this kind of feeling of like being kind of impressed that he had got me <laughs> like because mm. I was like no I never I never I always know to turn away and I can see it coming a mile away um so but it's something to do with I think just good direction that it kind of it doesn't feel like it's just for the sake of violence it actually when and actually more from re-watching it um I was really interested to see that that character, Majid, like when it happens, I was like, oh, he's really framed in a scary way. And I didn't pick up on that the first time around. Like, it's almost like there's all these tropes of kind of like a thriller film where someone kind of is like a sinister character, but he's probably a a lovely person who's been hurt and, but he's being framed like he's villainous. Um, and that scene is just awful as well. It was, but it was just so much more heartbreaking the second time around when I could pick up on that. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, what did everyone else think? Mm, yeah, I really, I was really impressed by the use of these shots that, you know, like you think you're just kind of, you've just been edited to like a new place. But so many of the shots in the film are actually you know from the video of them being filmed and I found Mm. that the way that was edited and just kind of that technique of you know the opening shot of the film being them being watched basically through this camera but you don't know it at first and that happens a lot in the film 
I, with just different, the different videotapes that they get sent. I just, that, that sense just put me on edge the entire film. Mm. And I really thought that was really clever. And um, just kind of, I felt actually physically ill watching this film the whole time, which I was impressed by. I was impressed by the, the techniques that Mm. he adopted to elicit that feeling. Mm. Um, Yeah. And I think I just overall was really drawn into this theme of you doing something regrettable in your childhood like when you're six years old and that coming back in this really haunting way Mm. because I know that Hanukkah or Hanukkah he (laughs) has said that he's only interested in writing and directing films about things that he's deeply afraid of Mm. and I think that this I think that this film really evokes this, like, imagine how just awful that would be. Like, and Mm. I was really impressed by Daniel's performance, the lead. I thought his performance was really strong and Mm. unsettling. Mm. So so what what in this film do you think Haneke is making that that he's afraid of? Like his past catching up to him or...? Yeah, or, well, I think that's pretty haunting, like the idea that something that you did as a child, even though it has horrible consequences, that you can, as you grow old, you kind of escape it, but Mm. maybe, but he, this character doesn't. Mm. So I think that's quite terrifying. mm. I mean, there's also a lack of introspection and I think sympathy from the main character and that's really scary like to be confronted like you think you're a great person but when you're confronted with the opportunity to right or wrong you don't like that to me like especially on the second viewing I really got that really strongly and it was oh my god it was just like gut-wrenching like even like from the first time seeing it and really just thinking of like the, the really violent scene this second time around when the first time when he goes to Majid's uh, um, apartment and actually speaks to him and everything that Majid said, I was just like, how did I not pick up on this the first time around? Like there's a, a line I wrote down because it's like, it's like Majid really sees him as a person mm-hmm. and he says to him, it's kind of like, so he, he can see through all the main characters just like bullshit and everything. He, like his lies, he's lying constantly. And it's just like, ugh. Um, but he kind of says more like to himself, but he's like, oh, like, oh yes. Like what wouldn't we do to not lose what's ours? And I was just like, oh, gut wrench, like burn, <laughs> burn on George. Like he got him, <laughs> like nailed him with one line. But also like every scene between George's, George and Anne, like his wife, when he's, he just lies to her, like when he says that he didn't go in and talk to Majid, but then there's video footage of him doing it. I, I love like, that, like, oh my God. Like, it's just, <laughs> and that's kind of another thing, like this idea that, like, I mean, to be afraid of, of being caught out in a lie and being so embarrassed, like that to me, like, and I kind of, I'm like, oh, what white lies do I tell? And that if someone were to call me out and I'm like, would I be the same? It's kind of like, you know, that, um, this new phenomenon of being like a Karen where you're like I'm not racist oh like but it's like but what if you're caught being rude yeah. to someone it's misinterpreted and then you just can't say sorry and then you just make it worse and you're caught on video and it's just like oh my god like it, it escalates like so quickly oh we no, all have a great compass. moral compass until we're actually <laughs> 
been in the situation. Yeah. Confronted with the situation, you know. Yeah. Things are a little bit different because you're acting often out of fear or, um, you know, self-protection. Um, it's very easy to judge a situation from the outside, but when it happens to us, I think, you know, you can surprise yourself and get tested in ways. I found both like Anne and George really unlikable. Like I, mm-hmm. they're a type of person that like a type of life, like everything's like, I think there's a scene where he visits his like dying mum and he's just like, everything's fine. Like life's good. Like no big ups, no big downs. And they just seem like they're, they've kind of achieved everything they want to achieve. They have like their upper middle class, like have quite good status, like a really nice apartment. Mm. I don't know, but it just seems like to me, they just seem really 2d and arrogant and Mm -hmm. I don't know something about I don't know if it's like a European thing as well like I feel like I know that kind from Europe as well Mm -hmm. where it just seems yeah it's kind of people I try and avoid (laughs) oh I like I definitely recognize the type and that to me is like I don't want to become like that where Mm -hmm. there's something I must not have picked up on the first viewing but I didn't realize that George works for public access television and I was like oh oh my god you're like you're not even that fucking like artistic like you work like as in like you're not like that high status that Mm -hmm. you have much to lose if someone's going to call you out but it's like these fucking pseudo intellectuals who like they have their dinner parties and all their fucking books and movies and everything's so like put together and like curated Mm -hmm. um and then it's like he's gonna destroy someone's life like to just not admit that he did something wrong when he was a child for what it's just like oh god it annoyed me so much but Um, I I didn't kind of I guess like maybe you guys can enlighten me a little bit more like I guess I didn't really understand what I guess there's like some ambiguity around who Mm. sent the videos Mm -hmm. um like I guess because he was a child like children Mm. do act in emotional ways and I Mm. kind of felt like um like it it's understandable that he has an innate sense of guilt but I don't think necessarily what he did was that wrong like children lie children fuck up children make mistakes um but I guess what I'm trying to say is like why do you think Majid or like what do you think why what do you think his end game was I I don't well for me I don't think Majid was the person who sent the video I mean it's hard to tell because it's all all, um, you know, the house of cards of lies in the film that everyone's lying. But it mm-hmm. seems to me like this film is an iteration on themes that he's repeated in previous films. And for mm-hmm. me, this is kind of the ultimate, the pinnacle of what he was maybe trying to achieve in Funny Games. And Funny Games does a similar thing, but in a much more in-your-face fashion, where in the American version, Michael Pitt takes the remote or rewind the film. Mm, I think that's, yeah. I, I do think that's what's happening. I don't think it's someone within the universe of the film. I think okay. it's, uh, that's what the way I interpret it, that it's, um, mm. it's more of a meta element, wow, which okay. is not, which isn't as like, 
in your face as Funny Games is, like mm. with, the, with the character getting the remote and winking, uh, he's trying to say the same thing, but maybe doing it in a more ambiguous way, where, mm. you know, yeah. you could interpret it as being Majid or Majid's son, but I think it I think it's George's son. You think so? George's oh, yeah. son, oh, that's Ooh. interesting. Because only on the second viewing, I also noticed, you know that final shot, it's like the, uh, what's the son's name? P- oh, yeah. Piero. Yeah. Um, you see, you see Piro come out and speak to Majid's son, and I didn't, pe- ah, I didn't notice no, that on the, the first viewing. It's ah. really because like that that last shot is like a freaking like Where's Wally like <laughs> spread. Oh um, yeah. And then, so I definitely didn't notice the, like ten years ago when I first saw it. Um, but I think I also was on the lookout for it because I definitely had read something about there being an extra bit of info or like seeing something. Mm, and so you do great. see that that they are talking and that somehow they know each other. I'm not sure. Because I was kind of like, you don't really, you can't really tell for sure how old Majid's son is. Maybe he's also in high school. Maybe they happen to go to the same school and it's like a really random circumstance that they meet. Um, but you can kind of tell that George's son does not like his parents. And that's definitely a Hanukkah theme as well, mm-hmm. where um, this idea of like, you know, well, who's really to say how a kid feels towards their parents and how they're going to react to things that their parents are doing. Um, and but and to speak actually about more about like Majid's uh, um, why he would want to see him and do what he's doing or why anyone's doing what they're doing. There's something he says when uh, the first time George comes to see him and he's like, you know, I thought I recognized you. I saw you on TV and there was there's something about it. I felt nauseous and I didn't mm-hmm. know. And I, you know, you don't really know how you feel until it was, so it was like this kind of very like vague idea of like, you know, this idea like when you're traumatized, but then how long, and who's to say how long trauma is going to stay in your body? How are you going to, you know, view someone like, you know, imagine I, I link it to what's currently happening um, post like Me Too, where people are kind of like, oh, I was raped. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. And it's like, mm-hmm. and no, you don't want to see your rapist ever again. And if you do have to speak with them, you might stutter you might cry you might like not be able to you have also there's all sorts of things that happen in your life as a result of stuff um that you've experienced even in childhood and yeah like he might see george on tv and be like you know what fuck that guy like that fucking yeah. asshole like, living the life thinking he's like so great and above me i'm gonna take mm-hmm. him down a peg or something like that wow. um, or also he legitimately mm. thinks that you know, he deserves revenge of some type. Um, and he's certainly trying, like, George had so many opportunities to be like, you know what, what I did was wrong and I'm sorry. Um, and how many times in his lifetime could he have sought Majid out to find him and apologize, but he didn't. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say that I know what I would do in that situation, but then I'm also just like, oh yeah, you know, there's other stuff, like you know, there's friends you don't love, no longer speak to and because of all sorts of things and stuff. So it's kind of, it's definitely like, I definitely have a more like general vibe about just like trauma and how and how long trauma lasts and traumatic things. Mm. Yeah. I, and I think the uh, um, his son makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. That the, mm. It makes it almost more of a more satisfying self-contained film and conclusion, and has that element of you know deconstruction like deconstruction of the plot in kind of a satisfying mystery way which suits the kind of mm-hmm. genre because there, there are parts in the plot it's like where's you know they kind of throw away comments or there's one scene where the sun goes missing so that even that adds up 
plot-wise, mm. with him being able mm. to place the camera in these positions. Well, I have another theory. Mm. Yeah. Is that yeah. he's trying to catch his mum cheating. Yeah. That's a good point, Nick. Yeah. yeah. Get the yeah. camera. Yeah. 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 That, was... that makes total sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So all that. Um... So like all, it's so funny how they're completely separate things. Yeah. Mm. The tapes and Majid. But it could be. Yeah, yeah. But then the drawings seem to be to do with Majid. And maybe there is some connection there. Oh yeah, but, the drawing. But that does make sense, and that's that's quite <laughs> well, interesting. Maybe when he was yeah. To the, yeah. Especially if he's talking, yeah, to Majid's son, like he would have found out. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. And, for, and yeah. for the most part, it makes some for it makes sense for his son and Majid to be working together, in like even within just this within the film. Because um, I wasn't too, I wasn't thinking too much about whether the camera placing made sense or was practical. But hmm. uh, that, yeah, that's that's interesting because um, yeah. he knows where he lives and and also they're so you know typical of these types of characters. They're so like um, disconnected from their son. They don't even bother asking him, and they're lying yeah. to him, and um, and they don't mm. know where he is most of the time. So mm. he, he um, could very well have been doing this the whole time. Mm. Yeah. I must say that I, I think this is my least favourite Haneke film that I've seen. I think for me... So what other films have you seen of his? I've seen The White Ribbon. Yeah. I've seen Amour. Yeah. I've seen The Piano Teacher. The Piano Teacher by far, by far is my favourite. Oh, yeah. I saw um, that more recently and I would have to agree as well. I mean, yeah. I found Hidden quite... It was a little too subtle and intellectual for me and it was a little mm. too theme heavy like I think yeah yeah I like his films best when they when the themes really inform the narrative like I think with like the piano teacher obviously like female perversion and female repressed sexuality is a really strong theme mm. but like mm. it's the themes are just innately like the scenes are just written in that way like it's not yeah, yeah. It's feel so tacked on whereas for me yeah. I watched the film and then I went on Wikipedia and kind of read about the themes and it made more sense, which is never an experience I enjoy because I kind of, mm. I don't know, for me, I felt like a lack of emotionality and investment in mm. story. Um, I think because I didn't really kind of understand, I think Majid's, like there was a bit of mist, like emotional mystery for me around these two men that I kind of didn't really understand. I didn't un really understand either of them very well. And I didn't understand them throughout the film and I didn't understand them really that much more by the end. Like, I don't know, there was something like I couldn't like emotion, like I didn't feel that emotionally invested or couldn't like quite get it. The emotional aspect of the film. Like it was a bit too intellectual and like clinical mm. for me. Yeah, well, I think his film, like there's a strong strand like of his films that are basically lectures yeah. on film. And I can mm. find that tiresome and sometimes condescending. Like I mm. find Funny Games gets into this territory about commenting on violence in cinema in a way that I, I kind of roll my eyes at because it's so <laughs> direct and lecturous. Yeah. And this film is quite lecturous as well, but uh, for me it's like uh, the high point of that type of filmmaking that 
mm. in his filmography. You know, as you said, mm. not all these films are like that. He has the more character-based, uh, more emotional, more emotive mm. film. Mm. Yeah, Amour is very emotional yeah, as well. Yeah. Maybe in making this, he was able to then explore like films like Amour and White Ribbon because he got what he was trying to say quite quite succinctly and quite like in a really good film that's what I thought mm. but it is like a, it's almost like watching a film lecture like and it's completely unemotional mm. you know it's com- completely distant and similar to like the seventh continent even more so like that's a film similarly about family you just see them go through car washes eating dinner and at the end they all commit suicide yeah 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 <laughs> so, which again is, is, you can see he's trying oh to re- <laughs> he's trying to repeat similar themes but it's held together for me as a film more maybe because it was was a thriller so there was some mm. something putting pushing the uh, narrative forward and it wasn't yeah. as aggressive as funny games which i appreciated because mm. it's not as not as in your face you shouldn't be watching this violence you know like you're a voyeur you know yeah it still had that element but it was maybe a bit more and it's dated now that type of filmmaking I think Mm. as well although I I really did find that um his style has been so influential I think like it reminded me a little bit in ways of like Yorgos his filmmaking Mm. like I feel like Mm. he's very influenced by Haneke like especially the favorite I'm not the favourite, um, what's the other one? The lobster, like those kind of those shots where kind of nothing happens, those riveting shots. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember like, because when I watched this the first time in high school, like being so blown away mm. by his filmmaking and his, because he is really so different and so like, <laughs> Like I'd never really seen films yeah. like his before, but yeah. like revisiting them now, maybe because I've seen more movies, they just don't seem as like, like I found that this one didn't have as much to it or something that as I had remembered when I had originally. Yeah, yeah. I actually had the same the same reaction. I was like, oh, maybe we should have done some one of his more exciting films or something mm. like that. But I just remember being so blown away and I think it was more to do with I mean he really has influenced the way I approach trying to write a screenplay Mm. approaching theme and I remember watching Hidden the first time and really understanding how a character or a plot is driven by the character and just realizing like oh this whole film is just about a guy who can't admit he was wrong Mm. and it just everything goes from Mm. totally and it definitely like it just his his method of like finding stories has just been so inspiring. Um, so I think for that reason, I was like, yeah, he's the man. And maybe I think when I first saw him, I, I needed definitely some film lectures because I was too saturated by American cinema. I definitely needed totally, and I think- definitely needed some European, um, some new European voices. Um, but yeah, no, I'll I'll never forget seeing this film for the first time. That's for sure. And I feel like Michael Haneke has that effect on heaps of people. Like you, I think we're also saturated with American cinema, and then you watch a Michael Haneke film, and you're kind of like, oh, there's another way to tell the story. That's just <laughs> yeah. as thrilling, as just as interesting, just yeah. as compelling for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I found the cinematography pretty breathtaking, mm. even though mm. it was you know like just kind of inside houses and stuff but Hmm. I thought especially that that um 
you know, when he goes to sleep at the end and he has the, the flashback, mm. I, I, I was like, wow, like, like this really is unsettling. stunning. Yeah, it was mm. like so unsettling, but so beautiful as well. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm actually pretty, I was still pretty affected in that, like I was quite impressed by the film mm. in that. You know, I think he's just, he's pretty, he's, he's pretty amazing, isn't he? <laughs> mm. Like it, it is, it's nice to see, like, I did kind of feel like it was like a film lecture, but I did appreciate that. Mm. And mm. Yeah, he's it's very fun- confident. Yeah. Sure. And it's funny how some shots are just so like, when you see the drawing on the glass table and you're like, mm. Why is this iconic? Yeah, why is this? Like, I was thinking that. I was like, this shot is so, yeah, yeah it's, like, it's stunning. So... And you're like, it's just a piece of paper on a glass table with like, yeah. a, like with a child drawing. And all of a sudden you're like, it's cinema. Oh my God, I know. Or yeah. just like when he's in the bedroom with the wife and they they move, but they move around the space and he's like, he, he moves and looks out the window and there's like this light light coming through and then when she asks him what he did he moves and sits in like pretty much in complete darkness and he's like yeah this is what mm. I actually this is what actually happened mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just that that was like I'm noticing this film lecture too much this is not an emotional experience no yeah this I, is very I yeah actually I definitely picked up on it the most oh sorry I think I just talked over you no that's no. no, right um, I'll just say that scene in particular, like that the final, like it's like he's been pressed and kind of caught out so much. It's like, okay, here's really everything that happened. He's sitting in the dark, doesn't want the light to go on him. That's that was kind of the only kind of point that I paused and I was like, this is a little too on the nose for me. Yeah, but one yeah. thing that I um this this time around that I was really excited to notice is that the way that actually, you know, the scene that we all always remember, the where the throat is slit, the when when they it's like the shot is already set up and then they come in the door and I realize I'm like is this another like video camera like Mm. moment because I was like oh it's Mm. literally set up like someone's just like placed a camera so perfectly hidden kind of like in the room um and I was like oh I think this is getting filmed as well like I didn't even think of that the first time around because like and also I thought it was so random though that when he leaves and goes to I'm like uh dude like maybe everything is being like recorded like you might want to be careful (laughs) (laughs) I I remember the first time around actually I think that's kind of to link into what we've been saying I remember that finding that scene so incredible when he slits his throat and he just stands there mm. because mm. Like in an American movie you have like the scream or people being really over yeah. the top in their emotions and being yeah. like he probably would just stand there and being just mm. like what the fuck just happened yeah like I remember yes. Haneke being really great with kind of throwing how we kind of perceive human behavior like mm. he, he is really mm. good at that I think he really puts yeah. human behavior into question and how we respond to uh, big life themes and I remember like watching that for the first time and being amazed by it being like yeah you would mm. probably just stand there you wouldn't scream and go oh my god like you wouldn't be this yeah. dramatic you would just be like frozen mm. frozen or I'm even like, like it yeah. somehow felt mundane still. Yes, that's what I thought. I, I was actually yeah. not that shocked well, by it because this was my really. we were eating lunch <laughs> and this was my first time seeing it, and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, we're watching it on like a laptop, not in the mm. most 
Yeah. And actually, like, the more so this time, I was more shocked by how he doesn't react to his wife crying. I didn't notice that the first time. She's the one getting, oh, like, I don't know what to do. She's the one getting, like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. upset about what's happening. And it's like, he's just not giving her anything. Like, that was so harsh. Like, but also to notice, like, from their all their interactions really from like the very first one where he's like oh where's the plastic bag that the video is in and they're already bickering like they're they're not mm-hmm. there's no caring between them of like okay what are we going to do like let's let's like plot like you know this is affecting you and it matters to the whole family it's almost kind of just like oh is it over there well like they just are constantly arguing with each other and not helping each other out through the experience I thought that was just so awful yeah was there was like, no Ugh. real love or first yeah for a couple that had been married like there was no real empathy or understanding or kind mm. of even between them they don't didn't seem like they showed their true colors I felt mm. like except there's that really random shot where they're watching their son yes we oh competition oh, so and they're like clapping yeah. and crying clapping. and cuddling and like, yeah it's like always in public and, and I was actually surprised at yes. how um I was so surprised actually how focused they were on their son's swimming career and going to see him even like his mm-hmm. lessons I was like why do they care so much they don't care about anything else like that's so weird yeah I wonder why they chose to have that in the film mm. Mm. Yeah. I think Hanukkah, Hanukkah uh, does not seem like he <laughs> seems very aggressively especially at this stage like aggressively against the veneer of like a perfect familial relationship like yeah like he does so many films about that that it's like well what's this hang up you got but it just seems to be like right <laughs> yeah and I think that's also just like the idea that yeah you're disconnected from the world in your little bubble but there's still so much violence going on and I'm going to shove it in mm. your face I'm going to show you this man slitting his yeah. throat and unlike you know die hard you're not going to be able to look away like he seems mm. really like when you watch his films he seems quite angry it's a, it's a certain yeah part of life you need it. to be in therapy man <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god I've, oh my. I've always felt like Hanukkah Hanuki looks like the the scary guy from Lord of the Rings he does. yeah Christopher oh, Lee Christopher Lee yeah. what's his name Saruman. Saruman. Yeah, he does. He looks like yeah, Captain. He does. He really does. Yeah. But it's like I kind of a compliment as well. He wouldn't <laughs> oh, yeah. be a director I would choose to have a drink with. Oh yeah, definitely. Have you guys seen? I think it was the year that Amore came out, and this is one of like one of my favorite kind of pop culture things, um, the Hollywood Reporters Roundtables. So he was on the directors one. Have you seen the year that he was there? No. Oh my god! I no, love, I love I those roundtables so much. Uh, okay, so wait, who was the other guy? So Judd Apatow. It must have been for the Golden Globe. <laughs> Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. Like, how how Walk into a bar. Uh, so Judd Apatow and I want to say who's that actor who was in um like The Office and now he directs like films oh, yeah. now. Steve Carell. No, the, no, um... no uh, he directed I think The Quiet or something yeah, like that. The it's slightly called. Quiet John Ken oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Emily Blunt's it's husband. John John Krasinski, I think it's him. Yeah. Um, so like those two are also on the round table. Ah. Of course. Of course, Hanukkah is not speaking in English. He only is speaking in German. Um, and so he get so he rarely talks the whole time, but he goes off on Schindler's List for about five minutes. 
Oh, um, that's awesome. He gets asked about, because I think one of the other directors in the roundtable had made a film about Osama bin Laden. And so there was something political, you know, this idea of like, do we make films about such people? And of course, Hanukkah's like, I got this question and just <laughs> um, And then uh, he gets asked about the film like Downfall as well. Um, but he was like, no, I didn't like that movie. And the, he spoke, he was like, I spoke to the guy who wrote it and I told him I thought it was infantile and dumb. <laughs> but um, but what actually what he said about Schindler's List really stuck with me where he was saying like to make entertainment as in like, you know, a film for the mainstream where really what you're watching is are people going to be gassed or not? That to me is like, you can't do that. That to me is like unforgivable basically. Um, and I, you know, I don't sure if I feel as strongly, but I was like, yeah, why is our moments like that used for suspense? Like as, you know, as a story plot um, or something like that. I was like, yeah, that is, that is really weird. Like, and, yeah. And I think he goes in direct conflict with Hollywood, which I do appreciate because I feel like obviously Hollywood, they'll make, they'll make a fucking narrative out of anything or they'll make mm. a fuck, you know, they'll be like, mm-hmm. Let's let's make it like a gas chamber sitcom, you know. People are gonna watch it. Let's do it. And that's kind of like I do appreciate him for that. That he goes. Oh yeah. He takes his work very seriously. Yeah, I wonder if he's a bit of like a Kubrick on set. Like, I wonder. I haven't read much about like actors' experiences Mm. with um. I, has anyone watched the roundtable with Isabella Huppert yeah. when Elle comes out? Oh, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love there's this moment where they're talking about, like, the rape scenes in Elle and how, like, what her experience was, like, filming it. And she was just like, no, it was fine. Like, <laughs> she's just like, it was just another day at work. Yeah. And all of the um, American, like, and the cinema, like, oh my god that's so hard yeah, yeah and like she was just like it was actually fine i read the script and i i know clashing with american actors is one of my favorite things it's like i think there is something i'm i'm definitely more drawn to just the european viewpoint and actually like that mm. reminds me of just juliette binoche in in yeah. hidden because it's like you i'm like oh it's so nice to see a woman just like being <laughs> A character like but not even being a character like it's so nice to see someone who doesn't appear to be performing like it's so natural that it, it's not and that to me is like the big difference between European and American actors where it's just like yeah. oh my gosh clap 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 every time an American actor like sheds a tear yeah. but it's like, it's like oh, so it's kind of over the top and everything yeah. is just so melodramatic almost yeah like every kind of theme every situation Whereas, mm. like, you know, then I do feel like the French take it, like, to the other extreme almost, <laughs> where it's just like, yeah. oh, just a rape, just another day. It's just like, <laughs> maybe you should be a little bit more emotional about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like sometimes French films, like, I've seen a few French films where you just go, like, this is, this French dildo, cinema dildo. It's just like too self-serious or something. Like it mm. kind of removes the humanity out of it on the other side. On the, you know what I mean? Like when you see those French films and it's just so self-serious and like too 
French. Yeah, but, but what I like about the, this film and also Haneke's films mm. is a lot of French films are annoying because they're so self-indulgently about film, mm. which this film yeah. is as well, but he's doing it for a purpose. Like, he's very serious, as you said, about violence and cinema, which I'm not sure, like, I fully agree with. I can find it a bit condescending. Yeah. But he is, like, and he's very serious about the state of the world. Like, he, mm. you know, he the scenes of the Iraq war and, and things that were happening in mm. that time. So he's not just doing it to suck film's cock. And a lot of, yeah. a lot of mm. French people, French people, <laughs> French filmmakers are just about, you know, like I'm Goddard, I'm going to do a film where people talk in 20 different languages and I'm going to shoot it like to comment on filmmaking itself. And it's like, I like that mm. Haneke is not just like, just doing it to comment on film. Yeah. He's commenting he's on- Aust He's Austrian, right? Yeah, yeah. And it seems like he's mm. more serious in taking like film, he's talking about film, but it's in its impact on the way we view violence and our mm. attitudes towards other people rather than just mm. like, oh, cool, I'm shooting a film in reverse. Mm. Like, like, or like, you know, mm. I find some French filmmakers are just like too snobbish about film yeah. itself and don't really have any mm. connection to real, real life events. Mm. And speaking of his, like, how he views violence, like, he really spoke to me. I, I think it was particularly around the time that White Ribbon came out and I was listening to a lot of interviews with him where he, uh, this, I had never heard the term before he said it, but verbal violence. And I was like, I, I was like, yes, mm -hmm. like this is what he portrays in film that I don't really see where it's like, um, even like at the beginning of Hidden where George um, nearly gets hit by the guy on the bike and they have oh, yeah. that short exchange. And it's like, though that that's a scene that almost almost could become violent because they're about to fight. And, and so he just like picks up on little moments like that in everyday life. It's like, his films are violent in the same way as like anyone experiences in their day-to-day -day life. And violence isn't just when there's blood, when there's someone severely hurt, when there's someone being killed. Like there's even like, even like someone, like even a random person on the street, if they came up to you and yelled in your face, like that's going to really greatly affect you and really like hurt you. Like in a way that even someone like coming up and like slapping you could, like you might like never be able to walk into a particular restaurant again because of like someone like screamed at you once or like something like that you always have a bad memory like there's so many different levels to it that I don't I really don't see other filmmakers showing as much as he has but maybe I'm just a I'm a cuck for Hanukkah so I just watch mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there probably is <laughs> other people who have done it but he's the mm. one that he was the first one so you never forget I think yeah, yeah. he does really he can really um he explore, explores nuance, I think, really well. Mm. That, like, obviously, I think a lot of Hollywood cinema is quite black and white and also black and white mm. with who the good guy is and who the bad guy is, like, morally, who's in the mm. right, who's in the wrong. And I think he shows, like, the grey of people a lot more and that things are a lot more complex. And he has more of, like, an observational point of view, mm. I think, as as well yeah like neutral mm. or something yeah, yeah. I, I guess I struggle with his like on a deeper level with his lack of emotionality I think films that I really or filmmakers that I really strongly respond to have quite an emo emotional point of view about mm. life um mm. but that being said the piano teacher is one of my favorite movies and mm. by far my favorite film of his I think I think maybe because it's based on a novel and I think that piece of writing 
like I haven't read the novel, but like is so excellent. Oh, I didn't even know that it was a novel. I'm yeah, gonna... so it's based on a novel. It's based on an actual woman's like it's kind of I think it's a fictionalized um, memoir. Um, but yeah, like that. I just love that film. Just for me, like when I watched The Piano Teacher for the first time, like I'd never seen a woman portrayed like that before. Like mm-hmm. I, it really broadened my perspective of what it means to be a woman and what it means to like be a sexual being and that women are perverse as well and have repressed emotions. Mm. And yeah. um, I found it really exciting and liberating for a woman, a woman to quote unquote be kind of presented in like a negative way. But I found that in reverse really positive because I think women are all encompassing like complex beings mm. and our sexuality can be repressed and perverse and disgusting. And I remember mm. just finding that exhilarating watching something like that. He definitely does such a good job of of just showing that how many different types of people like live amongst us like he mm-hmm. never shies away from showing it's like it's you're walking to the train station and this happens exactly the same way as like in your own real life like the encounter I, with the the cyclist near the beginning when they mm-hmm. go to the police um they finally go to the police and I was just like yeah like how many times has that happened to me where it's mm. like but then because the cyclist is black it maybe might be an immigrant it's like it, it carries this extra weight to the scene yeah. and it and I know that that's something that Hanukkah has always been interested in like just the growing number of immigrants and he knew that that was going to become a bigger <laughs> and bigger deal in society and he wanted to kind of touch on it and he I think even a few years later when he made Code Unknown that there's more of that in that film or was Coda known earlier I can't remember but it was just something that I remember reading where he was like yeah like it's just something that you just hear about in the news but where is it on the street like where is it mm. in your life like where's the intersection of these people yeah. that you're talking about and people that you cross in the street all the time like um and I love that saying the cyclist when I saw it the second time because when because George is constantly making this point of like I don't fight I, I don't do that and I'm like you called a cyclist an idiot like come on <laughs> like you obviously yeah. like not like above you know he's like squabbling with people um ugh, there's so much there's so many I, I feel like I need to watch it a third time to be even more to unpack um totally. yeah explain any any final thought thought Final thoughts. <laughs> Final thoughts on uh, hidden. Oh my god, I wrote down a couple of notes. I think I've touched on everything, but let me see. There's, oh, I think I think maybe we kind of might have touched on it, but maybe I didn't say what I wanted to say again. But like with this idea of like, what do we think that George is defending so harshly? Like, what is such mm-hmm. a big deal to him? Like that's why I couldn't. But that like on the second viewing, I was like, he clearly like. Like, he's always, like, he's so happy to threaten people. Like, there's, like, two or three scenes where he just is, like, and if you come in my family. But, like, it's, like, he says the sentence, but he doesn't act on, like, it doesn't appear to be actually, like, something he cares about. I'm, like, what is he? I feel like what I gathered was that he had already had a lot of personal issues with this thing that he did as a six-year-old and Mm. maybe that he was trying to convince himself that 
because he was only six that it's not something he had to pay for or apologize for even mm-hmm. um and then so I felt like he was kind of trying to hold on to that so that he wouldn't have to you know break open and be vulnerable in admitting that mm. Yep. Mm. and I think there was just like a vast sense of guilt like sometimes guilt just is doesn't necessarily carry a specific like it's not any deeper than that it's just like pure guilt like I think because when the movie starts like we don't know necessarily that do we know that is it like directed at George like do we know that it's but it's him already having that kind Mm. of trigger yeah like that he has Mm. something to Mm. like he has this inbuilt guilt that Mm. just is very vast follows him around follows him around and that he doesn't want to deal with he just wants to sweep under the rug Mm. um so so at any cost to not face his fears it just you know it gets bigger and bigger Mm. I think Mm. and also him being a tv personality I think kind of adds to that Mm. or at least it's just I don't know a helpful detail in yeah um, you know constructing his character because I feel I find that I've always found tv personalities I'm like what are you hiding (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah oh actually you know I'm curious to know because you guys are actual filmmakers um what do you take from this like the whole like thematically the idea of surveillance and like Mm -hmm. the way that it's shot um because I think the one film the only film I could compare to for that similar vibe is Lost Highway the David Lynch film Mm -hmm. there's a similar kind of thing of like this mysterious character who is he he's surveilling us but like I mean that's literally the only thing I can think of it I'm more curious to know what you guys think well, you brought up Lost Highway this morning, George. You were like, yeah, it reminds me of Lost Highway. Yeah, just, yeah, just that part. More so when I was trying to remember this film, I kind of was getting a little confused with Lost Highway because it, it starts in a similar way where mm. a couple um, is given a videotape of their home. Uh, mm. uh, and what was the... What was that? Oh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not that much of a film nerd in that way to, like you know, like the gaze of the surveillance and shit. Like, I don't know, but I found it very, um, like in a, I'm always, I feel like I'm always thinking about like, how is this cinematic? And I found it very, I found it so effective in you never really knowing who to trust in this film. Yeah. Because usually when you edit to like, you're watching a film and it unfolds and you're like, oh, now I'm in this place. Mm. It was like, oh, now I'm in, I'm here, but oh, wait a second, this is a surveillance tape. Like, mm. where am I? Like, mm. who's even filming this? Mm. So mm. I found that very effective in just creating this kind of, all of this deception and this kind mm. of mystery and also this tension and fear because that's also like a huge part of the film, which is that, this fam like imagine like you were getting these strange tapes and and Mm. drawings like that would be incredibly scary over time so I found like just as yeah cinematically I thought that was very effective even though it is kind of a subdued kind of film but yeah yeah for sure yeah a lot of different um aspects of that filming one is that it's cut was kind of of the time a bit of surveillance yeah. and which is yeah, what you're saying yeah. Isabel it's dated a little in that mm. way and two it does serve just to 
give you the sense of unease the whole film. You know, you're never sure, mm. as you said, Nick, what's being surveilled and what's, what's you know, ob objectivity. But it also just made me think, you know, I, it would be easy to do, you know, a thesis on this film, just do a PhD and <laughs> get paid money. <laughs> already, already I'm just thinking of all the wanky PhD uh, topics you could do about how he's using film to confront uh, trauma instead of using it as escapism to, you know, not confront your past. Wanky, and... but I would read it. Yeah. <laughs> I would read it. <laughs> yeah, I would give it a miss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's what I liked was that it was it was very wanky and you could see he he did have intention behind it but it did also have a mo not a motive but like it had an impact within the film you didn't just have to abstractly think about mm, what does that mean you know it did like you're like oh you know you, you had an immediate unease watching it mm. and you know obviously it's kind of maybe cliched or something to say but it, it makes you implicit in the violence by putting mm. it so that, you know, mm. that's what his films tend to do like, mm. like you know, but and yeah. um what about you what's your answer to that question I think like it's a similar thing as I I remember my reaction to funny games where I was like this isn't going like a movie goes and I don't know yeah. what's gonna happen and now <clears throat> I'm scared <laughs> like I think it's um well, I can't remember which particular bit it is in Hidden where you realise like someone fast forwards or something like that and you're like, oh, I, I'm not watching an actual shot of Outside the House. Um, and it's just like this feeling of like, oh, like is this not going to be like a typical narrative that's like tied up at the end? Like, yeah, I know that that's like a kind of maybe like Hanukkah's like like big trait where he, he never answers questions like that. It's just he he only like asks them. Um, and so now I'm used to it now, but even rewatching, I was like, oh, like, just be a nice, like, neat film and go, like, you know, beginning, middle to end and don't, like, um, kind of slip, like, make me feel like I'm slipping up, like, on the way there. Like, I didn't, I definitely didn't like, like the feeling at the beginning. Mm, yeah. Star ratings. Oh. <laughs> I'm oh, it... sorry to disappoint. I'm gonna give it two and a half. Oh whoa! <laughs> I, just, I did not expect you to say that. I I didn't enjoy it that much. Yeah, you watched it twice. Yeah, because I'm doing a podcast about. No, it. no, no, I, no. True. I'm just. That's cool that you did that, considering you you didn't like it. You know. So maybe, maybe we could do a star rating and also maybe say one Haneke film you like more, and is there one you like less? Is or is this your least favorite? Um. Oh, like. Piano teacher, a million stars. Like, yeah. no, can't even give it a rating. A film that I like less. Um, <clears throat> this is probably my least favorite film of his, I think. Just trying to think maybe an early one of his that I saw. Maybe the one that you spoke about with that family. I yeah. think I liked that one less. <laughs> um, <laughs> riveting. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. Cool. I'm gonna give it four stars, and I I don't know. I definitely like Piano Teacher more. I love I love the Piano Teacher, and I loved a more. I think I like a more 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 more. And I've seen Funny Games, the American version, 
And I would say I like that less, even though I love Michael Pitt and Brady Corbin. And yeah, four stars. Sexy blondes. Yes. Yeah, I'd probably give it four stars as well, maybe four and a half. I, you, I did appreciate a lot about it and it did have a, this kind of thriller momentum and unease watching it. But I, I am pr- realising I, I, I can't do slow films that well. Like my attention yeah. span is mm. shot to hell or something. Like these slow films just kill me. And that's unfortunate, but you know, social media, what are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> you don't even use social media. <laughs> you don't have an excuse. But I was like, I'm like, oh, this is good, but I'm like, come on. What about, do you like it? Do you like any of his other films more or less? Well, yeah, I haven't seen many of his films. I probably like White Ribbon more and Funny Games less. Mm. Uh, I need to rewatch White Ribbon. Yeah. 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 And again, I think it would be, I probably would have liked it if I watched it in a cinema. Slow films are hard to watch at home because you have so many distractions. Mm -hmm. When you're in a movie, you can get into that pace a bit more. Mm -hmm. What about you? Okay. I definitely, I'm still, even after the second rewatch, like with 10 years of time and learning and growing (laughs) in between it, it's definitely still at least a four star rating for me if not four and a half but only four I think just thematically and how I think original it is and how and just like just for Hanukkah's overall like commentary of like the time and how skillful he is at um at showing that um yeah and I think um maybe you know compared to other films of him which are so much more violent um, I, I think I still almost like this equal to a lot of his other films. I'm not sure. I think that it really just did impact me so much and change change how I see cinema. So I think I, he just gets all the stars for that, really. But if I really had to pick another one, I, I mean, like, to me, it's very similar to Code Unknown. Um, and I really like that style, too. Like, to me, it's I love how he just is relentless in showing life as it is. Like, have you guys seen Code Unknown? No. I think I've seen bits of it. Remember, I think in film school, um, Vince showed the scene on the. Do you remember the public transport scene with? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. an amazing what scene. Happens? Yeah. She just gets hassled by a guy on public transport, and it's just brutal. Like, and we can all relate. I think as I have well. seen that. I remember yeah. that scene being. I haven't seen the movie, but I remember that scene, and that scene is pretty, pretty great. It's like there's I wouldn't say there's much else in the plot. Like that scene is the standout. And it's very it's very similar to Hidden in that it just appears kind of like normal life, but you're always kind of waiting on something sinister to happen. Um, but I just I just love his eye for cinema and what he decides to show as like compelling and violent in society that no one else mm. shows. Yeah. Um, I love how we wrapped it back around to scary public transport <laughs> from me talking about LA. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and definitely maybe uncon- unconscious themes that I'm looking for I think <laughs> uh, but yeah no, definitely four and a half stars from me well thank you so much of course Hannah, for joining us on the yeah, podcast fun episode. Mm. yay um, I'll say that's not the end we can still chat about movies if you guys want I don't mind yeah, yeah yes, definitely yeah. well we'll just um We'll just wrap up up the podcast, but I just wanted to say that to everyone listening, the next episode will be The Witch. Yes. Which is, oh my yes, God. yes. With our special guest, Sophia. 
And who directed that again? Eggers. Oh yeah, Robert Eggers. And we're very excited about that. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll, yeah. Follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook. Um, no, follow us on Instagram. Click like and at, subscribe. <laughs> at, <laughs> at Film Club Podcast. Um, yes. Thank you, everyone. Yay. Thanks for goodbye? listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.